Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's really looking forward to meeting Michael Sheen. It's Richard Harry! Oh yeah, can't wait. It's going to be amazing. It's really going to be amazing. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, much better than last week's audience. Uh, welcome to British Times Square Theatre Podcast. I was inhaling gas with the pretest, priestess Pythia, still drunk from last week. <laughs> Didn't think of how difficult it would be to say the priestess Pythia when I wrote this down. The Oracle of Delphi, as you know, uh, she predicted in 3390 AD that in the future people will be calling this Rahelastopper. So that's, uh, that's how cool, pretty cool, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, I, um, I, I've been doing the uh, PTA quiz I mentioned last week. I've uh, been ruminating, thinking about it for a week. And uh, we did uh, we did okay. It's, you know, it's nice, it's nice to live in a little village. And I don't really know the people very well, but I think we've, everyone seems really nice. Everyone's really friendly. We were on a, a table of uh, people whose kids are at the nursery, and they were lovely. And we did really well. We came second. We lost by two points. If we'd just played our joker on a different round, we'd have, well, we'd have won. If, so, if someone said uh, Meccano was Latin for I make, it was Lego. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't uh, hold... Uh, I'm not too worried. We did quite well. But uh, in the morning, I, I tweeted saying, oh, you know, even in real life, I, you know, I do as well as quizzes as I do on TV. Uh, and we'd come second. And then one of the winning team, who incidentally, there were ten of them, and there were eight on all the other teams, so I'm not saying anything. Uh, but they, uh, I'm not going to make a fuss. It was all in good fun. Uh, she tweeted me because there was a question saying, which organ develops first in the human fetus? David, do you know the answer to that? No, you don't know. It's the, it's the heart. That's because you don't have a heart, David, so you wouldn't know that. And uh... <laughs> Some of the nicest men on the planet. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't know. Uh, it's the it's the uh, it's the heart. Um, but and then she said uh, she she said uh, I'm just going to find it. Um, she sent a link to Ranker.com, which is a very fine uh, website, which said that scientists claims that babies start as an anus. Uh, she added, unless you got anus as well, then we actually won by three points. Uh, that wasn't a phrase I expected to be tweeted by. <laughs> a stranger from my village. I was pretty sure that anus is merely an opening and not an organ, but I googled it first to check and I was right. And so I said, ah, but the anus is an opening, not an organ. I will content myself with knowing we got the most questions right, but we're defeated by a bad joke around. I'm not going to let it go. (laughs) She replied with a link to Quora saying, listed the anus as a sexual organ saying, I'm at a disadvantage because I don't understand Twitter, but the internet is keen to say that the anus is a multifunctional organ of great importance, and now I'm late for church. Um, I said, don't let God hear you call it a sexual organ. Don't think that was his intention. She said, anal sex very rarely crops up on the third Sunday in the month family service. So it's, I love, I love living... I love living in the countryside, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I didn't expect that on a Sunday morning, I have to say, so I don't, I don't, don't even really know who that person is. Uh, so, but, you know, we're good friends. It was my wife's birthday, and if a comedian can't discuss anal sex with a stranger on his wife's birthday without getting into trouble, I mean, what can comedians do on their partner's birthdays? <laughs> 
Still in it, isn't he? So, uh, probably not while you're listening at home. So, uh, it's... Okay, my guest tonight... <laughs> probably best known for his appearance in Frost Nixon. <laughs> Though you may know him from Word of the Year 2017. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nish Kumar! <laughs> Thank you very much. Welcome, Nish. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. That is ex- this is exactly the atmosphere I like to come out. <laughs> Just audible and visible disappointment <laughs> from a group of people who believed they would be seeing a legitimate bona fide movie <laughs> yeah. star and instead have got to put up with the world's fattest Mo Salah lookalike. Here I am. <laughs> Thank you for stepping in. No problem, mate. I mean, um, I feel like it's, you know, I feel great about it. Well, you should, because, like, the first time you're on, just yeah. after Brexit, when things were a bit depressing, yeah, yeah. when the vote had been made, yeah. uh, we, the, I was mainly joking about how few people were in the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and now... tonight, admittedly, mainly on the strength of those guys But what's interesting, people had a chance, yeah. maybe you didn't know about this, the people who are here, to return your tickets, and about 20 people didn't want to see you. <laughs> Who, I mean, let's not be around the bush, racist. <laughs> but in the end, more people paid to see tickets after your name came up than That's... Michael Sheen had sold to at that point two weeks before. So we're at, a, we're at net gain. Yeah. You know, you've, you've proven your worth. I think we might, and for my next, I'm, I'm doing some tour shows next year, and uh, <laughs> I think we might just say Michael Sheen's on all of them. <laughs> good... They just operate a very similar, but also I would back him to play me. Yeah. I know that it might be racially <laughs> spicy, right? <laughs> But Sheen's got curly hair and a beard, and I genuinely, I think he and I, or he and I should swap lives, and he should go sort of performing, art, you know, stand-up comedy in regional art centres, yeah. and I should be in the next Tony Blair film, which <laughs> I assume, like, because he's done everything, like, they did the, the deal and the queen and the special relationship, which takes you up to Blair's relationship with Bill Clinton. So, I mean, oh, it's slim pickings, isn't it? Like, all, <laughs> all that's left is the Iraq war and lobbying for the Saudi government. So in 2020, look out for me in the film The Fucking Disappointing Cunt. <laughs> I was going to ask um, Michael Sheen... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who I am. <laughs> if he would appear in a new film I'm writing called Herring Blessed. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. But I was going to ask him to bit play me. Yeah. And I would play Brian Blessed. <laughs> but I reckon we could, you could play me and I could play Brian Yeah, Blessed. I think or I could. Either way, we could just swap over halfway through. Yeah. Because I realised how difficult it would be to learn all the Brian Blessed lines for that film. It would be difficult. I mean, I think I could play you. Oh, I want to have sex with everything. <laughs> Oh, I also do actually have a message from the actual Michael Sheen. Oh, yes. Uh, because I. I, I, I DM'd him on Twitter and said, look, cards on the table. I've profited from you not being able to do this show. Uh, and he replied, hello, Nish. I feel like they're getting a far better deal now. Thank you for being my Richard Herring stunt double. Hello, and he's now addressing you, people. <laughs> hello, Leicester Square Theatre. Yes, this is me, Michael Sheen. Hooray, at last! <laughs> in yet another audacious inhabitation of a semi-iconic UK personality. <laughs> 
I thought I'd try it out on you first before opening the Donmar production later this year of Nish Froxon. <laughs> a cross-dressing extravaganza with a political bent. See you there. Wow. That's Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Michael be terrible if a tweet from Michael Sheen is the best thing in this podcast. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's what we've got to... Again, reading that, you're like, what, he's funny. <laughs> Wish he was doing this podcast. So, uh, we mentioned Word of the Year 2017. Which yeah, I did on. Word of the Year what 2017. Was, what was the Word of the Year 2017? Uh, I actually can't fully remember. I, it was like, they, they asked me to do it, and I said, uh, does it pay? And they said, yes. And I was like, well, then I'll be fucking there. Um, no, they asked me to do it, and I thought it was fun. And it ended up being a sort of conversation between me and my very dear friend and former guest of this show, Ashling B. Right. And we talked about the various words of the year, uh, and we were talking about fake news. And it was, all in all, a very pleasant afternoon. <laughs> Uh, I believe, as you can hear, huge word of the year fans. Unbelievable! <laughs> I believe the word of the year 2017, which is last year. Yeah, yeah. Was youthquake? <laughs> is that, was. was that down to you? Did yeah, you decide yeah, it, that? It was. Which down is a word to me. I've never heard before. It, it's a word that got used by various political analysts to describe, I think, the election result, the general election result last year. Right. But I think the thing is. They had to pick something positive. Like, that was a positive thing to come out of 2017. But the actual word of the year was probably something like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, shitting fuck. Oh, just when you think it can't get any worse. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, last week, we had someone who lived in your house on... <laughs> When you were on the podcast last time, yeah. I, I'm going to give a little secret away. We do record two on a week. Sometimes, what? Sometimes when I I've say... Been at the, I watched Rose's one. I've been here for a week. What the... Last time, the other guest was someone you were at school with, and this time, the other guest yeah, correct. is someone yeah, you yeah. shared a house with. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You're the most connected man in comedy. I, I am the it's most... It's all about where you went to school with Matthew Crosby. Yeah. <laughs> Going to school with Matt Crosby, that gets, you, oh, that gets you all, all sorts of doors open there. <laughs> And then you've got to live in my house uh, with me, and I really am the kingmaker. I re- Matt, when Rose moved in, she was a, a fucking little urchin orphan. <laughs> she couldn't pronounce any words. She was like, oh, hello, Nish, it's me, Rose. <laughs> I'm from New Zealand. I was just wondering, can you teach me how to do the comedy in your... <laughs> in your country and because at the moment I come from the Zealand and all we have is the uh, big Lord of the Rings <laughs> and what do you do and I said Rose just sit yourself down and it was like Pygmalion uh, <laughs> I Henry Higgins the shit out of her and now she's won a fucking award and where is my cut of the ten grand <laughs> good question has another comedian moved into that bedroom no actually currently that room is vacant. Finn is Taylor it? lived in there for a bit oh yeah and he's doing, he arrived a little urchin he was like Nish can you teach me how to do comedy <laughs> <laughs> very offensive impression of Rose uh, and uh, yeah the, a couple of people have lived in that uh, in that room since some comedians some non-comedians currently no one is living, no there, living there and uh, and I am uh, my girlfriend is about to move in oh so. <laughs> she actually is a ghost. I don't know whether... 
it's, <laughs> you all laughed at that. It was an on-point <laughs> impression of my is girlfriend. She? No, she's not a ghost. She's just extremely white. Like that, and some people... <laughs> Sometimes people say, oh, is she a ghost? And they're like, no, no, just uh, Irish. Just like, just of Irish stock. Uh, is she moving into the spare room? Because that's actually not she's that good. Mo- yeah, she's moving into the spare We've actually we've been together for seven years, so I think at this point she's like, yeah, I'll just take the spare room. You can, so you can, you, you, you can carry on. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? They're like, well, our houses are very close together or were very close together and like, so many comedians and, and podcasts as well came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, so many fun. podcasters it, came it out. It was a fertile time for uh, yeah. podcasting in Shepherd's Bush it by was. the looks of things with you and, and Stuart Goldsmith. And it was pretty <laughs> weird living with Goldsmith because one day, I, I get up very late, I'm a really lazy man, uh, and I, uh, one day I, uh, there was a knock on my door and I opened it and Matt Lucas was there and I remember thinking, I don't remember ordering this guy like <laughs> it's just a very weird thing because he's a very he's a delightful man and he's very polite to me but it's just very like i loved shooting stars yeah. and george Dawes is quite an iconic figure in my childhood when i was growing up and it's very unusual that you open the door and see an iconic figure from your childhood <laughs> largely because most of them are now in jail so like <laughs> it's great to see uh, a figure unsullied by history that's true uh, and uh, turn up but yeah he was uh, that was when uh, Stu was doing a lot of Comedians Comedian podcasts uh, and he's still doing them just not in my house anymore unless he's been breaking in <laughs> and secretly podcasting in my living room I wouldn't put it past him the guy loves a podcast <laughs> not as good as this podcast though. what do you think is the best Comedians Talking to Comedians podcast him <laughs> and mine oh I don't know no it's I, definitely this one yeah <laughs> It's de- this is definitely a drunker podcast. I, I, I've done Stuart's podcast as well, and I don't remember uh, him being half cut. No. As I also Im- made my way uh, towards that That's because he didn't get sponsored by beer52.com. <laughs> Go to beer52.com slash Rahilastipper for eight free craft beer. The problem is, I can't remember what the deal is now. <laughs> I'm not a very effective spokesman. I'm either a very effective spokesman or not an effective spokesman. This not is hey. fuck. That's what the fuck is this? I can't read anymore. It's called Zamajska Pivorora. I've gone. I've lost the ability to read. I know it's called that. So that's right. Have you ever done an advert for something? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Beer 52. I haven't, I've, you know, I've now skirted towards sponsorship. And so I've done um, right. uh, this. Yeah. There's a few things that sponsored this podcast. And I sort of think is, I talked to Adam Buxton and he changed my mind about it, actually. I was going, I'm not going to sponsor it. It's nice if the audience pay for it. But now I think it's quite nice if the audience get to have some free beer yeah, and yeah. that pays for it. So I think that works. I did a, I did a podcast for a car insurance company, which I've never said the name of, even in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And I figured that was a way for me to pay for some of this podcast. And I did it on the condition that I would, the podcast would just be us talking about issues with cars. And I would never have to say the name of the, I do two tweets that mentioned it. If you look back through, you can find out what it was. Thanks for the money though, guys. (laughs) I I don't think I've, 
I've never done an advert, and I don't, I don't particularly have any desire to do adverts, but I think no one has ever offered me an advert. So it's like, it's good for me because I've been able to take a principled stance <laughs> without ever having to have those principles scrutinised in any way. But I think part of the problem for me is I look like the before guy in every advert. Like, it just looks like whatever your product is, it could somehow improve my appearance. <laughs> well, you know, I, we, I did turn things down in the past, but uh, and I wouldn't, I don't think I would... I think it's got to be the right thing. Yeah, I, sure. I know, that beer is good. I'm happy with that. I'm yeah. happy to give free beer. Yeah, and also that's something. a good product to be affiliated with. Yeah. It's yeah. just, you know, I can't wait to come back in two years' time to replace Jennifer Lawrence and <laughs> on the podcast and have you open by being like, Halliburton supply many of the world's best weapons. <laughs> It'll happen. Once you've got kids, it'll change. Everything changes. <laughs> But anyway, let's see. Let's see what uh, you're up to outside. <laughs> outside of, I just I love this because it's like this. This is can only happen on a podcast show. Because I would love it if one week Graham Norton was like, "Well, I'll tell you what, Zac Efron has fucking cancelled, and so we've literally had to get a bloke who lives behind me." <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, it's, well, it's interesting. Like we, you just been on Question Time, which uh, oh, I did, nice I did, yeah, yeah. Nice. I've been offered Question Time, and I've never felt like doing it. I have to say. So, did you have any yeah, so qualms I, about it? I basically. This is also a story I tell on stage. I just. I don't know why I felt the need to caveat it that way. But anyway, I when uh, I, they asked me for it for uh, they asked me to do it for a while, and I kept saying they asked me to do it for a while because. Ramesh is too famous, right? They, but they, after a while, they, that's how it works. They just go down the brown list, right? <laughs> that's how it works. Is Ramesh available? How about Anita Rani? Gandhi, dead, right? <laughs> Ramesh is above Gandhi now, so he's done well, right? Um, but um, they asked me, and I kept saying no, because I genuinely believe that comedians shouldn't go on question time, because I think you're an impediment to accountability. It should be about the electorate being able to cross-examine their MPs. And then I got fucking smashed, came home, turned on the TV. It was a bunch of people I didn't like on question time. And I was just sat there being like, I must go on this programme and represent my community. I'm the brown Braveheart freedom, right? <laughs> They should not accept emails that arrive after 3.30am. <laughs> so I got drunk <laughs> and said, all right, I'll fucking do question time. And then the next morning I was like, why the fuck did I do that? And the first time I did it, there were two other panellists and one was, uh, there were a number of other panellists, but notably two other panellists were Gina Miller, who's an anti-Brexit campaigner, and Dawn Butler, who's a Labour MP, who were just impeccably qualified women of colour. And so there was literally no need for me to be there. <laughs> like, I added absolutely nothing to that panel. And then for some reason they asked me this time and I was like, well, I've fucking done it once. I might as well just give it another crack. <laughs> and like, it was, you know, it's a weird show to do. Like, it's, they're all very nice and everyone who works on the show is very nice but when you it's a fascinating thing the interesting thing is to get an up close look at politicians and see how they kind of yeah. operate and you know like I, I saw I met James Cleverly and uh, the previous time I did it I met Dominic Raab and Dominic Raab is the Secretary of State for Brexit and what's fascinating is uh, when you actually get a, a, a close up look at these people who you think are, are fucking morons uh, you get a close up look of them and you realise they're fucking morons <laughs> Dominic Raab I've talked about this before he genuinely I walked into the green room and he was saying nice to meet you Nish to a man who turned out to be Gina Miller's brother like <laughs> literally 
like he just walked he was like nice to meet you Nish and I was like and then he turned around and looked at me and wasn't like embarrassed he was more surprised like he was dealing with Eddie Murphy in Norbit <laughs> But there was a good cl- clip. I didn't see the, sh- the actual sh- the show, but there was a good clip of you talking about Brexit very yeah, passionately. Yeah, sure. I had a bit of a meltdown. Yeah. It's just like when... Because when, they're, they're sort of bickering. Cleverly and Keir Starmer are bickering. And, you know, there's just... Problem is, like, there's no detail. When you ask somebody who voted leave, what do we do? They say, leave means leave. And you go, okay, okay, I appreciate that leave means leave, but how do we leave? And they go, leave means leave. And you go, are you a fucking idiot? Like, <laughs> it's, the problem is that there's no detail. And when you keep asking the same questions and you get nothing, like we don't know what's going to happen about the Irish border. We don't know uh, what our trading relationship is going to be. We don't even know if we're leaving with or without a deal. And the problem is when you ask for specifics like that and you're treated like a sort of lunatic, uh, you get very frustrated. And some of that frustration boiled over and long story short i ended up using the phrase boris johnson is just there sitting squatting down and curling out his weekly daily telegraph (laughs) 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 oh it really it gets to you and you know like my dad hasn't seen it yet and my, for my dad my dad finds the idea of my career in comedy very difficult to reconcile but when I did Question Time I think he had a sort of sense of pride about it like he was like oh look and now he's going to he's in America he hasn't seen it yet he's going to come back and be like oh great you said curling one out you fucking idiot um, yeah and it's yeah it just kind of bo- it just boiled over in that moment um, which the clip has gone around the internet but I feel you know I know people say oh you know you get this liberal metropolitan elite. I don't live in the metropolitan area anymore. So yeah, of course you don't. I'm very much in the heart of UKIP yeah, territory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, it's just surely most people just think... I mean, most people just want it to be over. Yeah, that's and right. And most yeah. people just think it's insane, surely, that what's, what's the way it's turning well, I out. Just, I, I can't really... I, surely, even if you voted leave, you can't still think it's going well. No. You know, like, surely, even if you... I would have thought if you're a leave voter, you're the least happy person right now because it's a fucking shit show and presumably a lot of people in your social circle are not talking to you, right? <laughs> but, like, I, I, I'm just confused by people who are like, no, we voted for it, let's do it, and don't offer any detail beyond that. I think that's the frustrating thing, is even if you accept that there isn't going to be a second referendum and that we aren't going to leave, when you say things like, how do you resolve the question of the Irish border, people are just like, ah, oh, yeah fucking and you're like <laughs> is that the end of it and then they say things like new, there'll be new technology like I think they're basically banking on us inventing invisible border droids <laughs> at some point before 2020 but I think there was nothing in the original uh, referendum that said when it would happen no so like people are saying it has to happen straight away it <laughs> didn't say that it didn't yeah. say it would happen straight away so you know you're already saying there's a full floor in the referendum yeah. that it didn't say when this was going to happen it could happen in 100 Amazon years Prime has really spoiled everyone <laughs> I think people aren't used to people are genuinely want an Amazon Prime Brexit like they're like oh I'm sorry I can order a tube of lube and an action figure of Margaret Thatcher and be shoving it up my ass inside 24 hours <laughs> so where's my Brexit <laughs> going to happen though isn't it don't you think what the Brexit. Margaret Thatcher doll going up my ass well. yeah I mean that's already happened <laughs> that's happening right now <laughs> going to happen it is going to happen it yeah. has to happen I hope it doesn't happen 
because I think it will be a fucking shit a disaster for the country. Like, it could be a nat- national catastrophe, but it is it is happening. That's what's good about it. I'm, I'm very much on the side. <laughs> I'm very much on the side of hard Brexit now. Hard, you, yeah, hard I, Brexit. I mean, no I follow deal. you on Twitter. So I am. You, you've gone very hard Brexit. I mean, I started as a joke, and yeah. then I loved just the feeling of being a winner. <laughs> it was just good. <laughs> and I think by taking that position, you're in a no lose situation because if yeah. it works out that. No deal, hard Brexit is the best thing after all, somehow. Yeah, yeah. I can take all the plaudits for that. Yeah. If it doesn't, we'll have to just go back to the EU go, can we come back? <laughs> can we come back in now? Because <laughs> we haven't got any food to yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, several of our uh, citizens have started eating each other. So the most frightening thing was when, about, I think earlier this year, David Davis just kind of unprompted said, look, it's not going to be a Mad Max style dystopia. And you're like, why is that in your mind? <laughs> Also, you specified Mad Max, so does that mean Blade Runner? Like, what's, what the fuck is going on here? I've got uh, James O'Brien coming on. We haven't really talked about Brexit for a long time on this podcast. Um, and we've got James O'Brien coming on uh, in next week's recording, a couple of weeks' time after this one. And um, He's furious. He is furious. He's, but... He makes me look like a Brexiteer. <laughs> yes. But all I did, I sent an email saying he was going to be on, yeah. and I called the email Brexit. <laughs> With just the SH in brackets in the middle of Brexit. And two people emailed me from my mailing list going, I, it's disgusting that you were... <laughs> you can't think, who the fuck was following my mailing list who had no idea that I... Well, A, like you say, Brexit isn't really making a comment no, on what's right not, or wrong. No, and no. that's just saying, not going very well, is yeah. it? We should all be annoyed about it. And you've booked someone who's pro-Brexit. The other two politicians I've had on are both ex-Remainers who now believe we should leave, which is... Uh, Ed Miliband. And uh, Jess Phillips. And Jess Phillips, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like, I've obviously booked people who don't... Who aren't... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> as hard as a Remainer as James is. But it's sort of amazing that people still get that... They go, I'm never coming to see you live again. Go, Did you ever come before? Because... <laughs> I'm I think you'd have spotted something that you wouldn't have liked. <laughs> and, and the need to, you know, I don't mind people leaving my mailing list, but actually, two people bothered to email me back to tell me how furious they were that I had a guest that they didn't like, which was obviously the problem, uh, and that I'd called Brexit Brexit. But I'm fascinated Brexit. to know who, like, at this point, you have not been reticent in your views about Brexit, Richard. And I'm fascinated who has clung on for this long, even with all of your... Unless they fail to appreciate... You know, like the people that thought Ali G was just a cool guy. You know? Like, they've been like, well, fucking too fucking right. You've been doing this kind of densely layered parody of a hard Brexiteer, and they're like, oh, this is fucking getting me hard. Like, this, this is... This guy's on point as a commentator. But I just love the idea that... Because James O'Brien is... He's the sort of person that pushes a lot of those people over yeah. the edge. And but like I get emails I mean I get I got a Facebook message this week from on my Facebook fan page where they which is like is very rarely used. I lost the password to it and so <laughs> I can only see things that get emailed to, to me. Like I can't see the messages. But I got an email from a guy and because it got it came through the Facebook thing, I was able to follow his profile and he'd said, Listen, if you if it's so bad, why don't you just leave? And his location is Spain. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, why don't you fuck off back to fucking wherever the fuck you've come from? <laughs> Not like British people like me who live in good British places like the Costa del Sol. <laughs> 
Well, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? That's the thing. It's going to be an interesting time. It's going to be... So, like, next year, 2019, obviously, if you're listening in 2070, uh, and uh, you're now in the People's Republic of Brexitania... Um, <laughs> Uh, on uh, March 29th I'm doing the London date of my tour which is at the Hackney Empire so it's on Brexit night so I'm currently looking into getting uh, 1,500 cans of beans (laughs) to give the audience as a freebie on the way in because by the time they leave the show we will technically have left the EU (laughs) it's actually quite interesting listening back to the one we did it was a week or two after the vote yeah sure and and, you know if you listen to it because so much is, you know, so much now is people saying, "Oh, we never said this, we never did this." Yeah, yeah. But even if you listen, just what we're talking about is no, no one was given any clear idea of what either side meant. Yeah, you know, the people and and increasingly as it's gone on, the the whole story's just changed. So yeah, you, they, what the thing that gets me is people go, "You constantly seventeen point two million people voted <laughs> for this, yeah. and you're disrespecting seventeen point two million people." And those people are completely ignoring the 16 point whatever it was. Yeah, completely. So they're they're saying, it's okay to ignore 16 million people, but come on, not 17. (laughs) But surely you're ignoring 16 million. Yeah, well, that's the extra million that's the the, the key. I I sort of slightly forgotten about the sort of details of that. But your podcast last time was the first time that I spoke about something that happened to me. On the night of the the vote was announced on the Friday morning, and that night I was doing a gig at the Comedy Store, and a guy told me to go home on stage. And it's the first time I've ever been racially abused. And it felt like this huge sort of symbolic moment, because we'd left that morning. And it felt like this kind of sea change in the way that I saw this country. And it was this really incredible moment. And I afterwards... I talked about it at the late show and then I decided look I'm not going to talk about it because there's so much stuff going on and I don't want to trivialise any of these issues and make it feel like it was all about me and then probably a a couple of days before I did your show I saw an interview with Daniel Hanan who is a fucking moron and a stupid useless cunt right? (laughs) And he... Uh, was giving this interview where he was asked by Christina Manpour from CNN if the hate crime st- uh, statistics rise has anything to do with Brexit. So they, but already by that stage, they'd identified the fact that hate crimes were on the rise in the four or five days since Brexit, and he refused to acknowledge it. And so I was like, well, I now have to talk about it because my experience is being denied by a lot of the people who have driven us to this point. And so I talked about it on your show and then I wrote a Guardian article about it because someone heard it on the show and I met, it became the ending of that Edinburgh show and that tour show. Um, and it, like, it, was a, I, I, it was one of those amazing moments where you kind of go, no, my personal experience has value and if I don't talk about it, I'm allowing people like Hanan to kind of co-op the narrative and erode my experience in my life yeah, I, you know we're all thinking it Sheen would have been funnier <laughs> <laughs> but is it, how has it been in the last uh, two so two years ago since you were like has, has, has anything like that happened again has it felt no no I think what I think what's happened is no oh fuck of course all sorts of shit has happened yeah. I did a gig in Leicester Square where I talked about Brexit and it uh, a, a man a, a man unplugged my microphone <laughs> There was a party of 30 people in who got so furious. There was 100 people in, 30 of them kicked off violently. One of them unplugged my microphone, and another man shouted, you, sir, are a cunt, which, if you're going to call someone a cunt, it's going to invalidate any prior use of the word, sir. Like... (laughs) 
I would argue there's no point in embarking on a sentence that will culminate in the worst swear word of the English language and opening with formality, right? Um, I, yeah, I've had a lot of really fractious run-ins on stage with people. Obviously, with my tour shows, by the time they come and see you on tour, they've generally got an idea that of what the vibe is. I've had two people walk out uh, because of kind of Brexit-related stuff, but even they sort of did it in... It wasn't a kind of storm out. It was more a kind of like, oh, I disagree, but I don't want to upset him because he seems insane. <laughs> and Some so people just love quite... leaving, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. You run that risk. If you upset a group of people who've defined themselves by leaving, you do run the risk of walkouts. Yeah, they're no longer on my email list, but they still have the rights to come and... <laughs> uh, but, uh, anyway, yeah, well, it's, it's a terrifying, terrifying time... It is indeed. ...to be alive. What, how do you feel as... Uh, you have children, and as such, your experience is more valuable than mine. Uh, yes. How do you feel about the fact that your children have... You know, they're about to sort of emerge into this quite frightening I, place. I mean, that's... I'm sort of worried about... In, in the short term, you sort of feel you can shield little children from most things. Yeah. Um, but I feel um, more worried that the planet isn't really going to be... Yeah, well, exactly. That's the other thing, the, it, yeah. And I think a lot of this is... A lot of this throwback that I actually think ultimately in the course of history, this little step backwards. Yeah. Um, hopefully, will be a little step backwards. Even if it's a big step backwards, I think it will lead to things moving forwards. Sure. But because of the environmental aspect of all these pricks that are going to be in charge yeah. just that for a while, <laughs> that might be too late. So I, I kind of worry about that, about, you know, my children being. 18 and living in a world where you know I love the idea that I I've, I've become the sort of worst type of person where I'm so obsessed with Brexit that I forget that the world's going to end <laughs> <laughs> like I really the, the, a couple of weekends ago I was doing the Comedy Central festival in Southampton and we did a live drunk history and uh, I have no memory of what happened afterwards <laughs> me and Joel Domit were on stage doing a live drunk history they gave us some tequila I got fucking shit faced and I, I just I have no memory of what happened afterwards and uh, apparently I walked off stage and immediately walked into the green room and was like, who wants to talk about Brexit? <laughs> and just went absolutely off on anyone who had listened. And I just remember hearing that and thinking, that is very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's the first step in it. And I think like Trump being in charge of the world's great superpower. <laughs> like, but who would have thought putting an idiot in charge of the world's great superpower would lead to any problems? <laughs> Who could have predicted yeah, that? Who could but, possibly have seen that coming? But so you know, so all that he's doing, I think, is probably enough. You know, it's probably enough to mean that we we can't step back from it. Well, it's, so that's yeah. that's sort of the the terrifying thing about it. If we even get through, it's the, the, the only thing that I would say, like as a positive about Trump, is that about six months before he won, there's an African American historian called Stephen Thrasher who made a video for the Guardian where he said Trump is going to win because it's a national natural progress of American history is that they have some massive significant gain in terms of civil rights and then a massive setback. So he said, you know, after the Civil War there was Jim Crow and the uh, civil rights movement in the uh, 60s result 
resulted in police brutality in the 70s, 80s and 90s, and continuing up to this day. Uh, and he said, an African-American president means that there's going to have to be a racist president and then everything will right itself in 2042. I mean, listen, given, <laughs> given from what, because 2042 is the point at which uh, America becomes predominantly people of colour. Given the demographic in this room, it is a very dangerous statement for me to essentially say, don't worry, someday all the white people will be dead. <laughs> Got Rose Matafeo in there as yeah, well. Is that, she's, is she's fucking loving it at the back. <laughs> yeah, die, Whitey. <laughs> That's my impression of her. <laughs> it's good. Um, <laughs> let's. We'll move away from this for a second. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about uh, the homoerotic tension between you and your friend on uh, on Joel Domit going around <laughs> the world together. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting because I genuinely in my mind was like which one is he going to say <laughs> you're doing a show about you. I mean you're doing a, one of those shows that you look at and go this is just guys going around yeah, the world having adventures this is it's the most ridiculous job I've ever had and will ever have. So it's called Joel and Nish versus the world. And the premise of it is that it was a show originally developed around Joel. So like I am literally just, so basically the premise of the show is that Joel is really into uh, CrossFit, which is, uh, they call it real world fitness. It's basically prison workouts for people who belong to a socioeconomic demographic. That means they're unlikely to ever be in jail, right? And so the premise of it is it's real-world fitness, so you don't use exercise machines, you just do kind of workout... I, I, I don't even fucking know what it involves, right? Um, but he... Uh, so he's really into that. So the, the, the idea that they thought was, like, Joel goes around and lives with people who live physically. And how, it's, let's see how someone who, in the West, is supposedly real-world fit deals with people who live that way every day. Spoiler alert, very badly, right? <laughs> and they basically realised in the first series that if Joel was going to do this stuff, he would need someone to sort of function as the presenter in the show uh, while he was doing crazy stuff aka they needed a sassy chunky ethnic ahoy <laughs> again Ramesh too famous right but uh, Gandhi not fat enough right so and in that sweet spot that's exactly he's not I'm sorry if you're ooing that you're, being, you're ignoring history right <laughs> I went, and so basically, I'm there as Joel's nerdy sidekick. Yeah. Like they, you know, I'm there. Like we have that sort of. It's like an '80s buddy cop double act where he's the like handsome one, and I am also there. <laughs> <laughs> But in the second series, so in the first series, we went to Mexico and he ran an ultra marathon. And uh, he, we lived with the Chavante, who are this amazing Brazilian tribe who do these kind of crazy log races. And then in the second series, they decided that they should get me more involved. Uh, so I uh, have now been sumo wrestling and uh, I shat myself on a mountain in Peru. So all in all, <laughs> I, I shat myself on camera. Oh. <laughs> like this. Basically, I was feeling a bit spicy, right? That. <laughs> That, let's, let's just put it this way. I was thinking, where is Richard Herring's front door when I need it? <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, given the state of my stomach, you would not have been able to sweep that up easily, Richard. <laughs> it, uh, it, would, it would have looked like Jackson Pollock himself had committed a hate crime on your property. <laughs> But I, so I was feeling a bit dodgy. At the, at the beginning of every episode, Joel kind of goes, where are we, Nish? So that I can kind of do the kind of, you know, the introductory bit. And he went, where are we, Nish? And I went, well, Joel, we're... I've got to go! <laughs> and on camera, I run off 
into the and then you just see me disappear and what happened was I went into the bushes and shot myself on a mountain <laughs> unfortunately it did not the, I did not complete I some of uh, the fecal matter had already been deposited in my trues <laughs> pretty degrading stuff I imagine this is what a lot of you thought Michael Sheen would be like (laughs) I'll never forget when I was filming The Damned United as I was lining up in the dugout at Derby County and I shat myself much to the disgust of Timothy Spall <laughs> and the bit I saw, you were you were sporting a moustache. Was that a? Yeah, was basically, a... we were with these ga- the, the gauchos who were like Argentinian yeah. cowboys, and they they have this kind of, they have proper like juicy tashes. And I and with they, the producer said, "Oh, it'd be fun if you guys because they, they it's not a very." I think people are very cynical about the way TV shows are made and they think that there's a lot of artifice, which there really isn't with this show. And all that would happen is occasionally someone would say, it might be fun if one of you does this thing in this situation. And they said, one of the things we think it'd be funny is if you shave your beard and leave a moustache. And it turns out, without a beard and with just a moustache, I look like Super Mario slash my father in the 80s. (laughs) However, when I returned home from that journey, that was not the opinion of the customs officials at Heathrow Airport. Because I went through the nothing to declare aisle because I had nothing to declare. And literally five guys come towards me going, where do you think you are? <laughs> Turns out I think with a moustache I look like Super Mario and they think I look like the actual Pablo Escobar. <laughs> Full narcos. Yeah. But you're absolutely right to be disgusted by it. It's absurd to make a living travelling around the world with one of my best friends and having an absolute whale of a time. But you went everywhere. I mean, you're all, it's literally all over it's the world. Di- we went to Japan twice, Tahiti, New, Ze- New Zealand, where I did meet a shepherd. Yeah, thank goodness I mean, someone did. He was flying the fucking plane. Like, it was, <laughs> that country's an absolute joke, right? Did he have, a, did he have his crook with him? He had his crook with him, <laughs> which I did say, it was like, I don't mean to be a backseat passenger in a plane, but that's going to impede your ability to pilot. <laughs> <laughs> they should um, just put the crook into the joystick. <laughs> also, definitely not a joystick, Richard. <laughs> I think you failed pilot school. Where's the joystick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a ridiculous job to have done. Yeah. And I loved it. It was but great. It's, it's, it's fun. and it's, it's really fun. But it's fun to watch as well. So, the, and the, the, the horse with Guy is incredible. Fuck me, that's, yeah. That's just, and you're so... Um, was that the first time you'd seen it? Would yeah, you yeah. They, so they, 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 I mean, it's hard to explain it. We basically, on day one, which... And, <laughs> which I was, we sat on a horse and they were sort of moving the cameras around and the horse just literally threw me off. Was it racist? <laughs> Hard to say, but it didn't throw Joel off. <laughs> the answer is yes, right? And so uh, they were trying... We really struggled. Like, it was, it's force riding is fucking hard for anyone, let alone two complete buffoons, right? And so they sent us to this guy who's like... He's basically a horse whisperer, 
but he he kind of is very they, he, they were trying to teach us some kind of horse manner like how to be around a horse so it doesn't freak out because they were saying part of the reason the horse is freaking out is because you're freaking out and I was like yeah but in my defense it's a fucking horse mate like no, I'm, I'm not comfortable up here and so they sent us to this guy to teach us like horse vibes and he I mean listen it is alarmingly sexual <laughs> It's, I mean, it's more than a horse whisperer. Yeah, yeah, it's a horse it's, fucker. It's, like, I'm not like. He, he's literally at one point, he's lying on top of the horse. Like, the horse is like lying back, and he's just fully on top. And it's just, the horse is completely calm, and he stands on the horse. It's, it's like, it's wild. And they, they sort of showed us this thing, but it's another thing where they, they literally just kind of go, there's really no sort of artifice on the show. They were literally like, this is about to happen. See what you think. And you sort of walk out, and you're like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Oh. That guy's fucking a horse. <laughs> I mean, he isn't quite, but he knew. it was because Joel sort of wanders in. It's like he was doing something else. Yeah, yeah, There's a bit. There's a. He's sort of lying on the horse, and then he kind of reaches down and just sort of yeah. flicks. Yeah, flicks a little bit at the horse's neck. Yeah. The horse loves it. I mean, so listen. Horse, did they, you have a go? Look, at, did you have a go at doing that? No, bit? but let's just put it this way: I'm in that shot. I am only filmed from the waist up because <laughs> I was fully erect. Let's ask you an emergency question to get away from the uh, wait bestiality, which we do not approve. Of. <laughs> so it's one thing to have become, sex. Things have become weirdly sexual. Let's reach for my book of sex questions. <laughs> My big book of dick queries. Many other things. Just scanning the page to find them. Um, It's amazing Richard didn't ask me for a cover quote. If you had to invent a fifth season, which two other seasons would you put it in between and what would happen in it? No cocks in that. I would invent dick season. Oh, no. Uh, I would put one in between... uh, I, I I would put one in between summer and autumn. Okay. Because I, I like autumn, but and I like summer. Summer's a bit too hot, and autumn, you know, you're going into winter, so it's a little bit depressing. There's a lady. Sorry, it's this lady who nodded so earnestly as I said. I found that genuinely endearing. She was just going, "That would be a fucking brilliant idea." <laughs> I think let's go in between summer and autumn. Yeah. Sometime. Yeah, sometime. <laughs> Let's have a bit of sum-tum. It's not as hot as summer, but it's not as tum as autumn. Okay. That sounds good. Pretty good. Would yeah. Michael Sheen have done that? I think I don't think, he, I don't think he could do emergency questions. He would need to prepare for yeah, it. Yeah, he would need quest- to. Well, he'd, he'd two weeks to live the question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, if you, uh, if you have sex with a Frankenstein, yeah. are, are you cheating on your partner? yes I'm going to say yes because the Frankenstein does have it is a sentient creature Mm. whereas I think if it's just a dead body fire away (laughs) (laughs) I say if it's a corpse with no sentience any holes are gone (laughs) what if 
what if part of the Frankenstein is taken from your partner? Which an NB, that doesn't necessarily mean they're dead. It could be like one of their kidneys or a leg or something. No, so I, part I, of the Frankenstein is actually your partner. I, I still think, I still think that is technically adult. I mean, if your partner's died, yeah. Then I mean, I guess it's a better version. <laughs> If your partner's died, it's better that, and you're going to have sex with a Frankenstein, yeah. then it's better that it has a bit of your partner in it yeah. than none. If your partner's still alive, I think that is going to be a very, very tricky conversation. <laughs> is it cheating to have sex with someone who has had an organ donated to them by your partner? <laughs> or is it your duty? The anus is not an organ. <laughs> Richard, I hope you live a long and full life. <laughs> but I hope that when the uh, unfortunately inevitable does happen yeah. to you, on your gravestone it reads, an anus is not an organ. <laughs> I think it's definitely cheating if it's... If, you, if it's an or just an organ from your partner, I think that's yeah. definitely cheating. And I definitely don't think it's your duty. But the way that... The fact that you phrased it like that <laughs> suggests this is a conversation you have had with your long-suffering <laughs> wife. Just, and I'm just looking for loopholes, that's all. So it's just... <laughs> a lot of things aren't covered in the marriage, Brad, so that's all I'm saying. In sickness and in health and in the donation of an organ to a person and robots. <laughs> Got to think very carefully. You're going to get married. That's going to happen. Make sure it's all in there. <laughs> so let's let's talk about. Um, I, mean, leave, I mean, you've done a lot since you were last. You've done had a very full two years yeah, since you were last. Done, you've done very yeah. well. You've done Taskmaster. I did Taskmaster. Yeah, it was. I mean, listen, did I do well at Taskmaster? Yes. <laughs> I, I was the first person that did, did so badly at Taskmaster that Greg Davis took me aside and told me off. <laughs> <laughs> Leading to the thing that I feel will be on my gravestone, which is a direct quote from Greg Davis, which is just, you're not a bad guy, Nish. <laughs> uh, it's one of the shows, whenever people ask you about it, they're like, is it as fun as it looks? And you go, yeah. <laughs> it's real fun it just, it's absolute fucking nonsense it's a lot of fun I think I've really enjoyed doing things like Taskmaster and the show with Joel in the last couple of years because otherwise I've been doing stand up and re- like some radio stuff and some TV stuff that's focused on the news and yeah. you, every day you get a kind of news story and you have to try and turn it in. and it is fun to just do sometimes some fucking stupid bullshit yeah. and it feels like really cleansing um, and t- Taskmaster was so much fun yeah believe me as a viewer that is also true of your stuff <laughs> I get the feeling you are in part relieved Michael Sheen is now not here <laughs> You've had a couple of beers and you're in a mischievous mood and you're like, I am glad that I don't have to say, did you ever see Frank Langella's dick on the set of Frost Nixon? 
I'd have been very respectful to Michael Sheen. You would have been so respectful to Michael Sheen. That's what's hard to take. If it was Sheen, he'd be like, Ooh, Michael. I love the deal. With me, it's like, Right, you fucking stand up as a bag of hogs. You were on House of Games? I was on House of how'd Games. You, how'd you get on House of Games? Well, put it this way, my toilet rolls are currently in a trophy with Richard Osman's face on. <laughs> well, that's very good. I can't... I've been on House of Games, and I'm not allowed to talk about it yet. Cause oh, because you not haven't... Been, it's not been televised, but I know what happened. <laughs> you could probably guess, to be fair, but it's... Uh, it's... <laughs> Is this going to be celebrity mastermind over it all over again? Pointless. And pointless. Three times pointless. We'll have to wait and see. I'm not allowed to give any clues. (laughs) My toilet rolls are not in it. (laughs) (laughs) And so the MASH report, it's the second series is about to start as we... Yeah, yeah. Which seems impossible because there's been about seven series already. So many of them. Yeah, we, uh, we did four episodes last summer and then six episodes in January and that ten episodes was our first series and so this is our uh, second series technically a lot of people think it's the third keep t- tell them it's the third it makes us sound more successful than we are <laughs> please for the love of God two series six months apart that's insane well I mean welcome to our world Richard <laughs> um, which well like to be completely honest with you I mean no one thought the pilot... When we were doing the pilot, everyone was like, this isn't going to get fucking made. <laughs> then we did the pilot, and it got commissioned, and when we did the first episode, everyone was like, it'll probably get cancelled. <laughs> and then after we did the first four, we were like, they're never bringing us back for the rest of them. And then now, So now we're in the second series, and no one can quite believe it. Like, I, I come, just come from the office today, and everyone's kind of walking around being like, is this a, an elaborate hoax? <laughs> um, it, we, it's, yeah, we love doing it, and no one, no one can quite believe... Because it's weird doing that kind of show. Because when we did it, the first week, there were like four articles in various different publications saying, this is probably going to be fucking shit. (laughs) And at the time, we were like, oh, that really sucks that people are already writing us off. Now, I genuinely believe it's the greatest thing that ever happened to us. Because people saw the first episode, which was not great, but not shit. And everyone was like, this is a fucking masterpiece. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because the UK has done very, very badly at this type of show. It's sure. a topical show that in America, there's like 10 versions mm. of that show that are working fantastically well and have worked, gone for many years. And in, in the UK, they've sort of fucked them all up. Yeah, yeah. Until the, I think the Mashport is definitely, you know, even from the first episode, is definitely the best one. Yeah. And I think, I think one you did your second series in January, that yeah, you yeah, think yeah. is a different series, it really found its. Well, you know, because you, you hit that. You and Rachel had that kind of lovely... Yeah, that's right. Lovely yeah, chemistry yeah, yeah. suddenly, because Rachel was suddenly a bit more, bit more kind of involved, I guess, and did like slightly more involved bits, but then you were also involved in that, and there's a lovely relationship between the two of you, I think, has developed. Well, it's one of those, it's one of those things where, when the first episode, we want they, they, the producers had this idea that Rachel would be sort of manning a social media wall, and it would be her dealing with fake, offensive tweets about the first show. And it was really funny, and it worked really nicely. And then the idea was always, well, we've got Rachel. Rachel Paris is a phenomenal comedian and improviser. And the idea was, well, we'll have her do loads of stuff. And what we discovered, once the series starts, is it's fucking madness. And everybody is so rushed off their feet that no one has any time to come up with new ideas. And one of the things that immediately, when we were talking about the six that we did in January, was we have to do more stuff with Rachel. And so we were able to like bring Rachel in for meetings, and all of us sat down and kind of talked about it. And 
to be honest, the way that it's been, the reason I think it's been successful, it, it, whatever success it's achieved, I think it's because of the way that it was commissioned. And the BBC showed a lot of faith by saying, we want 10. So we did a non-broadcast pilot, and then they went, we're going to do 10. Because you have to do 10. It's, these things are so fucking hard. When you compare them, people always say, well, it's not the Daily Show uh, to anything that tries to be in that same arena. But the Daily Show was in existence for, I think, a year before Jon Stewart hosted it, at least. It, used to, it was hosted by a guy called Craig Kilborn. Stewart wasn't even the original host of The Daily Show. And in America, part of the reason these things succeed is they get ordered for 2025 episodes, whereas here we don't normally have that scope. And so we were very lucky with the, you know, with the show that it, they gave us 10, and that's what, I think that's why it succeeded. And also, everyone on it is like, it's their first big thing, they basically wanted... I'm, I don't think I should say this. I'm going to say it. <laughs> they basically wanted a more famous host. And they all said no. <laughs> and they went down a list. And eventually they were like, him? <laughs> and so that's... But because of that, I think it's, uh, it's my... It's the biggest thing I've ever done in my career. And it's everyone on the show's number one priority. And so it's like, it's a really fun thing to work but on. But that's, you know, I mean, TV makes this mistake again and again, both the mistakes. They, they judge something by episode one mm. only and then it's, it's decided. And because that's often what the review, the reviews review the first episode. Yeah, sure. And uh, they don't give something a chance to run in. They're too scared to, to go with their gut instinct on stuff, basically. And also they try to put famous people in everything and actually things that are successful are allowed a bit of a run-up, haven't got a spotlight on them from the beginning, and usually, uh, you know, if you look at the office, none of the people in the office, apart from Ricky a little bit... A little were, bit, yeah, were but not even, a huge amount. ...were yeah. even known at all, you know, and, yeah. so, and those guys are now, let's put these let's put Tim from the office in everything, innit? <laughs> <laughs> he was the first choice for the MASH report. <laughs> like, uh, but it's very difficult, because you have to deliver a lot of it to camera, so <laughs> it would have been quite tricky for him to be... Yeah, and there's that hunger, and there's trusting the people that you've got. You've got to do something to to give it yeah. a, a good crack, and, and that, I think that really is interesting. Because we did, well, I have watched, I think, nearly all of that, the Mash Report, not all of it, and you know the, the difference between the, the the first and the second series, the first yeah. one point one and one point two, is you know just it suddenly got there. Hits you hit the ground on, the, on those those second lot. Of six and and that you know you got you both Rachel's thing about sexual harassment yeah, and yeah, you yeah. having that conversation with her, yeah. which genuinely looked like you hadn't rehearsed uh, it. I hadn't rehearsed it, yeah. yeah, because I am what's known in the industry as a woeful actor. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'd rehearsed it, I would have been like, Rachel, please do not make sex in my face. <laughs> So they were like, well, we'll probably keep him out of rehearsal. <laughs> and so all the reactions yeah. of that clip are genuine, yes. And, yeah. you know, and Rachel is, is... I mean, it's, it's brilliant for, for Rachel, who's I, I think like has been going for a long time, yeah. done, done lots and lots of different things, is so talented. And this just those two episodes, I mean, the, those first two episodes of that second lot were went viral worldwide. Yeah, the, yeah. The Trump thing and the, and the sexual harassment thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, the thing about Rachel is that we go, whenever we go, whenever you go off script with her, she's like a, you know, I've known Rachel since we both started and she's like a musical comedian. She's wonderful. But she's also in ostentation and an incredible, ostentatious and an incredible improviser. And when you go off script with her, it is, I can only imagine it's like playing tennis with Federer. Like it's literally like you put one back and it just comes past you at a speed you can't believe. <laughs> and that's kind of the, it's, it's exciting in those moments when it happens because you can really see somebody kind of coming into their own as a performer. Like she's yeah. fucking brilliant. And it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun 
to kind of be her stooge. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, well, like, you know, I can see the MASH report becoming the Daily Show in that hopefully they'll replace the original host with someone good uh, for, the ne- for the rest of it. Listen, I would, be, I would happily be <laughs> Craig Kilborn to Ramesh Raghunathan John Stewart. <laughs> Well, Stuart's in town, isn't he? As we, as we record, oh, yes, John yeah. Stewart is here. So, I mean, for all those people who are like, this would be better if it hosted by John Stewart, write him a letter. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And I just thought, that I, th- I think, I don't know, it, 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 it's, it's nice to see that something can like, be given a chance and also not, not be held up to those kind of... You know, the things where they put... I don't know why it happens, because yeah. everything, when they try to copy something else... And I don't think... you know, the, it's, I suppose you could say, oh, well, it's trying to do an American-style yeah. show. But it, it's not... That's, that's a style of show. That's not the same thing. Everything where something is trying to be copied, where someone goes, oh, The Simpsons is good. Let's make, cop- let's make something... <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. The, thi- the thing that is made is terrible. You know, the reason The Simpsons succeeded was because it was... because it was like nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, that's the thing that baffles me about the TV industry, is that people haven't spotted that and because it's easier to go oh let's put the successful people in everything yeah yeah you know and and for someone who's been a success in something else and and not taking the chance and when there are so many comedians i mean that's the terrifying thing i think as any comedian now but yeah sure when i started as a comedian there were 25 comedians <laughs> you had a you had a good chance of getting a TV show. <laughs> but now there's like a thousand there's a thousand comedians who you know you could easily yeah. see getting their own tv show so there's a lot of people to choose from yeah it's, so, it, it, you always just, I, yeah. I just feel very, very lucky to have done the things that I've done, and like I'm, you know, I'm just like, I, I, as with a lot of people that I'm friends with, we're all just like sat there being like, I hope no one finds out that we're shit, <laughs> and let's just ride this thing until it, they, someone tells us to get off. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, the, it really is that level. But I do, I give the BBC a lot of credit for the mass report and the way that it's turned out because there's a lot of faith shown in us yeah. that I don't think we would have been afforded necessarily on other networks. No. Oh, often on the BBC. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not necessarily speaking first. Uh, so, <laughs> they gave us quite a lot of goes, actually. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so, your stand-up show, your latest stand-up show. I saw your last stand-up show. I think, or maybe the one before me. Was it Kate? the one with the Brexit show? Yeah, the Brexit routine at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we came was... to see you in the Bush Theatre because it was. Oh yeah. Very, Oh, it was no. Easy. Was that a different one? No, that was like a sort of weird version of a work in progress for this it? show. Okay. Yeah, it was, oh, it was like probably last last summer. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was. It was just it was, before we moved, maybe. Yeah, yeah. it was. I, I basically was supposed to do Edinburgh. This is how confident we were that the MASH report wouldn't get picked up. I had Edinburgh booked in because we assumed <laughs> the pilot wouldn't be picked up. And so we had to then hastily cancel it. But I had a couple of gigs that I thought, well, I'll do them. Especially because the Bush Theatre is so close yes. to my current and your former abode. Yeah, let's not give, let's not give up. We can start yeah, the pinpoint. I already it. feel like Matt I was fucking shat the bed on this one. <laughs> oh yeah, Nush loves rock class to a Nindos. So if you are in Shepherd's Bush and you find a Nindos, you can probably find Nish's house. Oh, that's good. It's not like anyone is angry with him because of things I've said about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're touring the show uh, well you've been touring this new show it's uh, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves that's right yeah um, it's a quote from Terminator 2 oh okay yeah 
I was surprised I didn't get that. So at what point does that happen? In There's Terminator? a bit in it where the two uh, where two children are fighting with toy guns when they're in New Mexico going ah, to the armory, yes, and John Connor says, "We're not going to make it, are we?" And the Terminator says, "It's in your nature to destroy yourselves." And uh, I really like it because it sounds like a, I've been thinking about that quite a lot since Brexit and Trump, uh, and I really like it because initially people assume that it's from some sort of highbrow source, <laughs> and you go, "Nah, mate, Arnie." <laughs> <laughs> Got ya. Um, and you're touring that. You've been touring it already, and you're touring it yeah, again in I've January. Done, so I've done about 19 dates, and now we're on a pause, a hiatus, so I can do the mass report, and then in January we're back on. I'm back on the road. Cool. Has, has the mass report uh, doubled your audience, tripled your audience? Yeah, I halved mean, your audience. <laughs> I mean, my, my last tour, I performed to an audience of 15 in one show, Richard. So it, it has quite literally doubled it. <laughs> it's increased it in some areas by a factor of 200%. <laughs> it's, the thing that it does, and you must have found this touring down the years, is that all it do- what it does is it gives you the 10 minutes at the top of the show where if people don't know who you are, they think this could be shit. And what it does give you is that just 10 minutes buy-in off the top, like of just being like people just assuming it's going to be good before it starts. Yeah. No, it doesn't happen to me. <laughs> uh, no, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, I think, again, as a comedian... Uh, it's so hard now, I think, to, again... That, that, I just sort of admire young comedians and the drive people have... Uh, because it's so hard to break through, and to get to that stage of touring is like an incredible achievement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it is something I'm quite proud of in myself. And you know, as a solo comedian, I sort of had to start again, and I yeah. was starting from you know 25, 30 people coming to see me. Yeah, yeah. And 15 years later, I can sometimes <laughs> I can sometimes get 40 people now. So I, you know, I got, I've had 500, 600 people occasionally coming to see me, and still yeah, sometimes yeah. 100 people coming to see me. And so you've built that up, but it obviously helps if you get like a if you get a boost, and you know you. Yeah, it definitely, been doing... it definitely has given the tour numbers a boost. I mean, look, next year we've booked in some room sizes that are, let's face it, optimistic. <laughs> but they're, they're 250, 300-seat rooms. It's yeah. given a real boost to, and it's been, the shows have been, you know, the shows have been really good fun. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's a really enjoyable thing to sort of get to do. Um, and, you know, like, it, what's fun about it is that when you do have, like, a tour manager and... That takes the pressure off. It's fun when you have a support act. Some of the support acts are nicer than others. <laughs> I've, thought, I've been supported on a number of occasions by Rosie Jones, this tour, yeah. who's a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> Rosie's a very funny comedian. She has cerebral palsy, and she has a fun new game where uh, when we're in public together, she throws herself on the floor and shouts, help, help, the man from the MASH report pushed a disabled girl. <laughs> But it's got, it's that, like, that's the sort of fun of it, like yeah. touring with people and like do, getting to do that. And it, yeah, it's good fun. I've really yeah. loved it. Oh, good. It's, it's, well, you know, it's, it's great to, to see people, you know, pushing through in this way. And, um, uh, you know, especially like two years ago, I was worried for you. Uh, and, it's, <laughs> and now I think you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> No, this exact conversation with my mother. <laughs> Couple of years ago, Nish, we were thinking, for fucking hell, is it law conversion? Like, can we do something in that arena? And now, yeah. well, now we're thinking, well, maybe you'll maybe teaching. <laughs> You've got beautiful eyes. Thanks, Richard. 
I just wanted to tell you that. The Sheen have beautiful eyes. Where the fuck are you, Sheen? With your eyes. I was going to say something else, but it's, it's gone. Is it uh, that I've got a beautiful penis? <laughs> yet Possibly. To, I've yet to see. You've got an impressive anus. If, that, <laughs> if, that's, if that shit was yours, yeah. then oh, I'm listen, very impressed. Uh, there's a mountainside in Peru that can testify <laughs> to the quality of my anus, Richard. <laughs> Um, look, have a fantastic time with this series of Mashport, which will probably all have been out by the time. How many episodes are in we got? Time? We got six episodes. Yeah, it will all have been gone by the time. It'll all have been out. gone. Come and gone. People have judged yeah. it. Watch it illegally online, which is what you fucking people seem to do, <laughs> leading to my exec to describe our ratings as being at the lower end of acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, without gig in the in uh, Bush it was lovely it was kind of an e- early evening gig so it was perfect yeah it was really uh, like it was, a, it was it was really nice and it was a delight to see you there Richard yeah, I'm a, you know if you come and gig in uh, at my village hall I'll come and see you then <laughs> as well so uh, we'll see if that's on your yeah, you know it always means a lot I'm a I'm a, I'm a long standing friend of your wife because well, yes. we started comedy at the same time right. and I've always been a big fan of yours and that's I've good. you know I'm not always... so much that when Matt Lucas came to your door he said there's a childhood here and I was living behind in the house. <laughs> you never came round and said, "Excuse me, mate." Just wanted to say I love Fist of Fun. You were always the funny one. I don't understand how it's. You'll be podcasting in ten years. So, well, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, he's no Michael Sheen, but can you please give a massive round of applause to my fantastic guest, Nish Kumar. Cheers, Rich. Thank you very much. Shane Thester Square Theatre Podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Nish Kumar. The music is by Pest. The people I thank traditionally are everyone who works for the Leicester Square Theatre. They are all fantastic people. Everyone who works for the British Comedy Guide, nearly all of them are good people, but one of them is pure evil. Thank you to everyone at GoFasterStrike.com. They're all right. I'd like to thank my producer, Ben Walker. I'm indebted to him. I'd also like to thank this week's executive producer. Came back with some very strong notes. Martin Bailey. Thank you, Martin. I don't think the show would have been as good without you. This is a fuzz. Go fuzz. Stripe.com and Sky Potato production. I hope you've enjoyed it.